You're listening to And Then Some, a conversation with diverse thought leaders across sectors and the media, where we explore strategic communications, current trends, and how they impact us all. This podcast is presented by Solomon McCown and Sensi, an award-winning, fully integrated PR and government relations agency. This is And Then Some. Hello, everyone. I'm TJ Winnick. And I'm Reva Chessis, and this is And Then Some. Our guest today is Suzanne A. Bear. Suzanne started her career as a Wall Street attorney, and today she is president and chief operating officer of Northland, a real estate private equity firm with $7 billion of assets under management and a $3 billion development pipeline. In addition, as if that weren't enough, she was recently appointed president of the Atlanta Dream of the Women's National Basketball Association and is part of the organization's new ownership group. She also sits on the board and is the treasurer for YW Boston, an organization dedicated to eliminating racism and empowering women. She was named a 2020 Woman Who Means Business by the Boston Business Journal. Honestly, I don't know when she sleeps. Suzanne, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, TJ. I do try to sleep one, you know, a few hours a night at least, but I feel well rested most mornings, so it's all good. Good to know. <laughs> good to know. Suzanne, thank you so much for being here. I'm going to just jump right in. One of your priorities has been to make Northland an employer of choice. How has communications, both internal and external, supported that effort? So first, let me say um, thank you for having me on. It, it, it's a pleasure to be talking to you this morning. I would say communications, you know, both internal and external, not only support an effort to being an employer of choice, I think they're critical to being an employer of choice. I think that part of being an employee of choice really in, you know, today's day and age is a lot about being employee focused and having policies and practices that put your employees first and a recognition that your employees, regardless of, of what industry you may be in or what, or what sector you're, uh, you work in, that your employees are your most important asset. And so how you communicate with employees, how you communicate and make them feel supported and acknowledged, um, appreciated. I think it's critical to that. And I think that when I look back at you know, the last few years, how we changed our communication strategy around our social media, around internal communications. We started in our social platform, really focusing on employee highlight. You know, we put the center not on our real estate assets. It's great when we when we buy a new luxury asset and we, we put a beautiful photo up on social, but we started to do something different. We started to do meet particular employees, highlighting our employees and highlighting accomplishments and getting to know them personally, you know, what are, what are they doing outside of Northland? And we did that because we wanted people to understand that at Northland, we're a group of individuals, we're a group of people who, you know, want to come to work every day and work for our, towards our collective success. But at the end of the day, we're all people and we want to highlight our people. And so whether we're doing it in terms of internal recognition, whether we're highlighting employees on social media, I really think that communicating with employees so that people understand and know what your goals are, what they're working towards, and they understand how they fit in to the organization goals are all critical to becoming an employer of choice. And it's something, Suzanne, if not executed uh, in a genuine uh, manner, people will see through it pretty quickly, won't they? I mean, you have to really be committed as a leadership 
uh, as a member of leadership and also as an organization, you can't just talk about it. You really have to uh, back it up. You're, you're absolutely right, TJ, because it, it can't throw up a social media post if there's if people don't feel that it's genuine, as you said. And so sometimes the communication can lead an effort and sometimes the communication is supporting an effort. And so and by that, I mean, it has to be part of an overall strategy. If we had just done um, social media posts, but hadn't undertaken an internal review to look at you know HR policies and sort of change change the way we were operating internally. The, the, the social media post alone obviously would not be enough. Um, and in fact, as, as you point out, would rightly seem a little hollow in terms of making employees understand where we are and where we're coming from. And so there's there's no question. It, it, the communication is part of an overall strategy. It can't be the only thing that is happening. So we want to talk about your employees and how you communicated over this past year, because Northland owns 26,000 residential units across dozens of multifamily communities all over the country. And managing all of that during COVID was an enormous task for you and your team. So we'd like to know what your main message was to the staffs at those properties over the past year and what you learned and what your advice would be about offering advice and communicating during such uncertainty. I think that the probably the most challenging thing both from an operations and from a communication standpoint for us during COVID was the fact that, as you pointed out, you know, we operate nearly 90 properties in 10 different states. And the difficulty during COVID from an operations standpoint was that there was no national strategy or mandate around how to operate. And by that, I mean, what were, who were considered essential employees, were there, you know, mask mandate, uh, shutdowns. And so, you know, what we had for, you know, anyone who was in our industry was this incredible patchwork of either state, county, or municipal regulations that, you, you know, that were ever changing as conditions in those jurisdictions were changing. You had the a little bit of the political overlay, depending upon the location as to how the local regulatory, you know, either agency or uh, governmental authority was going to deal with this. And so early on, it was critical for us to be able to digest, you know, orders as they were coming down and inform our site staff as quickly as possible as to how things were changing where they were operating. In addition to that, it was how quickly can we communicate to our residents when we're going to have to very quickly change what's happening on site? So, you know, are we going to, you know, keep up? Can we keep our offices open, our leasing offices? Do we need to close them? Can we keep fitness centers open? Do we need to close them? You know, getting into COVID, it became abundantly clear that at least for us, we've made the decision to, to follow CDC guidelines where they were more stringent than what was going on in the in a local on a local site. And that is how we sort of manage that, you know, as we continue through the year. I think probably the, the more difficult from an employee communication standpoint was that we have our corporate office here in Massachusetts where 
we were essentially required to go remote because we're not considered essential employees here. But all of our employees on our site were considered essential employees and needed to be on site, obviously, because they're managing those properties. And so we wanted to make sure that those employees felt supported as much as possible, um, that they felt valued, that we wanted them to know that we understood what it meant for them to have to be working, you know, on site, particularly very early on in the pandemic when it was difficult to source appropriate PPE for employees. And, you know, we took really significant efforts to make sure that we could source those materials for employees. And the other thing that I think was important for us is we put temporary COVID benefit policies in place to make sure that if we had employees who were impacted by COVID, we had, uh, you know, extended paid leave where people did not have to use their, you know, their PTO time if they were impacted either by COVID themselves or they needed to care for a family member who was. So I think that in any sort of crisis situation, the ability to communicate, the ability to communicate quickly as facts are changing and making sure that whoever your, you know, constituency group is that you need to be communicating with is hearing from you is important. And there's one group that I, that I left out there, but, and that's our investors. You know, we also sent a series of special communications to our investors as well, because this, you know, as the uh, pandemic was unfolding and there was obviously you know, economic uncertainty, we needed to make sure that our investors were hearing from us too as to our view on what we were seeing on the ground, what we were seeing from our operations and sort of our outlook for, you know, how this may impact the organization, you know, specifically and then the economy generally. So we really looked at communications from those three groups, our employees, our residents, our investors, and then we tailored communications to each one of them as as we saw now necessary. That makes sense. Yeah. It really sounds like the bottom lines were transparency and also you know, reassurance, providing reassurance to employees and staff that you are going to be making them as safe as possible, that they can have confidence in what you are doing. And same thing with investors and across the board. And it sounds like you were able to, to do that successfully, which is great. Well, I'm going to have to give a little bit of a shout out to um, to TJ and his colleagues because, you know, TJ was right there with us throughout the pandemic as we were needing to draft communications very quickly to residents. And it was really important that that we were able to do that. And we, I'm not sure we could have done it as quickly without the support from TJ and his colleagues. So thank you, TJ. We're proud to be your partner. So I want to shift gears now to something that was more recently in the news, uh, which is that you, Suzanne, along with Northland's chairman, Larry Gottsdiener, and former WNBA champion and all-star Renee Montgomery are the new investors in the Atlanta dream of the WNBA. So we're curious, what is it that you admire about the WNBA that led you to invest in the Atlanta dream? Well, I'll start with I'm a huge sports fan and uh, Larry is as well. And I think, as you just said, you know, Renee Montgomery, who is the third member of our ownership group, is a former WNBA player. She actually sat out the 2020 season for social justice purposes and then uh, just retired from the WNBA in February. Um, so I think Renee's involvement sort of speaks for itself. For Larry and I, it was really two things. It was a, it was a love of sports, a passion for women's professional 
professional sports. And really, uh, with respect to the WNBA in particular, their social justice platform. You know, the WNBA is celebrating its 25th anniversary this year. And as a professional sports league, the W has been at the forefront of the intersection of sports and social justice for a long time. And if you watched what happened last summer as all of the Black Lives Matter movement was, you know, at the forefront and the league took a very active stance. As it turns out, the Dream 2020 players took a particularly active stance uh, with respect to the senatorial campaign of the previous one of the members of the previous ownership group. And it was that courage that, you know, their strength, their power in being able to speak out against their previous owner when that owner, you know, took a stance against the league's position in supporting the Black Lives Matter movement that really brought our attention to the team at that time and really piqued our interest. And when the opportunity arose just a few months ago for us to acquire the team. It was something that we were really uh, excited about that we pursued. Um, It was a very quick transaction given the timing. I think today is actually day 42 of our ownership. And uh, we're, you know, only less than 30 days away from the first game of the season. So it's been a pretty compressed period for us to, to, you know, to get up to speed and get ready for the season. But for us, it's really all about embracing the, the league's social justice platform providing an opportunity to amplify the players' voices for the causes that matter to them, becoming rooted in the city and the culture of Atlanta, and in many respects, really engaging in some um, active community outreach in Atlanta. And so all of those things are what really attracted us to not just the W, but to the Atlanta dream in particular. We're hearing some parallels I think between how you view employees at Northland and perhaps how you view the players, the basketball players uh, on the dream. And while it's not Northland, but rather Larry, Renee and yourself, who are the investors in, in the basketball team, how is your group's investment consistent with the values and mission of Northland, do you think? I think in many respects, it's very consistent because at Northland, you know, we have our corporate philanthropy is centered around three primary causes, if you will, or issues. It, you know, empowering women, combating racism, and ending homelessness. And so if you were to look at the nonprofit organizations that we support or that members of senior management sit on their boards, or where we, you know, employees are actively engaged in what I would call hands-on sort of volunteer time through our Northland Gives Back program, I think you would see that those causes align very, you know, they line up very well, if you will, with the social justice causes that the WNBA is supporting. And so, you know, the W is all about empowering women. If any of your listeners sort of were paying attention while the uh, men's and women's NCAA tournaments were taking place in March. You know, you saw a lot of attention to the disparity between the the facilities that were provided to the, you know, to the women's and men's players. And, you know, the interesting thing is this is not new. 
It's just that it's finally getting the attention that it deserves. And so as an organization at Northland, I believe that we've always been uh, a leader in the commercial real estate space in terms of having women in senior leadership roles. And so when I think about, you know, Northland and I think about the W, I think that our missions in many ways, even though we're in entirely different sectors, you know, commercial real estate, professional women's basketball, but in some respects, you know, the the missions can be or, or, or the values, I should rather say, are very similar. I love that. I love how you, you know, I love how the mindset that you have for both roles that you are in really connects uh, and that there's a through line through everything that you do. So, and this will be our last question for you, Suzanne. We know Northland to be a proudly progressive organization in many ways, including how you approach diversity and the nonprofits that you've partnered with. Why is it important for you to communicate these values more broadly beyond your organization? It's very important to us as an organization to speak openly about who we communicate because we're unabashedly progressive. And we are, we want our employees to know that. We want our investors to know that. And when we go out and support organizations, we want them to know that as well. I think that, you know, Mitch McConnell made a statement in the last few weeks that honestly struck me as one of the most absurd statements I've heard in a long time, which was that corporations should, quote, stay out of politics. And that was because of the, you know, corporations in in Georgia coming out against this a recent legislation in Georgia that many, including myself, view as restricting voting. And it was, to me, it was so absurd because they want corporations to be donating to campaigns, right? There's, you know... Citizens United. Yeah, exactly, right? Citizens United, unlimited, unlimited corporate dollars can be spent on campaigns. And yet, you know, to come out and say that corporations should stay out of politics was to me just a crazy statement because they want the dollars, but they don't want you to speak. You know, it was it, it, it honestly just struck me as, as a very hypocritical statement. And so if you want our dollars, you're going to hear our voice. And I will also say that we're not going to stop speaking out on issues that we you know, that we believe in, and we're not going to stop supporting causes that we believe in. I think that organizations just like individuals have an obligation to advance certain social causes, particularly right now when it comes to, you know, systemic racism and and advancing the causes to bring change to organizations. And so to me, there's, there's no question that corporations should be involved. They should be speaking about these issues and they should be sharing their views and everyone should be working together to start breaking down and bringing systemic change in across all organizations, not just corporations, but through all institutions. Well, Suzanne, thank you very much for joining us. We are uh, proud to be uh, your PR partner and it was a real uh, pleasure having you today. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you, Suzanne. And before we go, we like to end every episode with a PR pro tip. And today that tip is a best practice for responding to negativity or critical comments on social media. We all know the internet isn't always the friendliest place. And sometimes you or a client may receive a negative tweet, comment, or review on social media. In those instances, 
Our recommendation is to never remove comments or reviews unless they explicitly violate the platform's term of service, are vulgar, or hateful and intolerant. Instead, we recommend responding to all tweets, comments, and reviews to the best of your ability. Because your responses are public-facing, each one is an opportunity to share your or your client's side of the story and reinforce that you care about your clients, customers, and employees and providing good service. Not responding, though positively intended, can easily be misunderstood as not caring and lead others to believe that the negative comment or review is true. Deleting comments or reviews is also risky as it could further anger the original poster and add fuel to the metaphorical fire. It's impossible to please everyone on the internet, but important to remember that a thoughtful response can go a long way. And to all our listeners out there, thank you for joining us for another episode of And Then Some. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening so you don't miss out on future conversations. And if you've enjoyed this conversation and previous episodes, let us know by leaving a review and following us on social media, Solomon McCowan Sensi on Instagram and at Solomon McCowan on Twitter. We'd love to hear from you, but for now, we'll see you soon. Bye.